Uh, so it's great to be with you uh, this morning as we continue the series that Adam kick, kicked us off uh, to last week, looking at what, how, and the why of the Bible. It's God's story, authored by God, written down by real people for real people. It's trustworthy, reliable, specific, and accurate. It points us to Jesus. If you missed last week, I encourage you to to listen in and go back and take a listen to how Adam introed our series and what the Bible is. Because it's so important to start with uh, the trustworthiness, the reliability uh, of, of the Bible as we navigate through life, as it points us to Jesus. I mean, it needs to be reliable. It needs to be trustworthy. I know in the early days of GPS and the smartphones had just come out, and uh, I was asked to join a couple of other pastors uh, <clears throat> at a graveside committal. And uh, we were going to share the, share the service. And, and so we arranged a time we were going to be to meet at the cemetery. And uh, so I, I wanted to get there plenty early. I punched, punched the address into my phone. And I got to a cemetery. Uh, it wasn't the right one. <laughs> I'm driving around. It's like, where, where is everybody? Am I early? Was I late? And I realized that <clears throat> the phone had taken me. There's just a slight difference between the two places I was supposed to go. And I went to the wrong place. So it was a horrible feeling uh, to miss something like that. It's like, oh, no. And so <clears throat> long story short, I did. I was able to get to the right place just in time to step in line and say the the closing prayer. Uh, But what a horrible feeling. But I had relied on the GPS. I had relied on myself to put the address in right, and and I relied on all the wrong things. (laughs) Well, we can't afford to do that when it comes to God's word. When we're relying on God's word to point us to Jesus, and so when I'm navigating through life, I can't afford to trust a compass that I find in a cracker, back, cracker jack box. I'm not going to, to get to California based off of a preschooler's crayon drawing. No, I need something I can trust, something that's reliable. I can trust the Bible because it's God's word. It's my creator's story. And it always points me to Jesus. Well, I listened to to Adam last week, and his story got me pretty excited because I've recently been planning a a backpacking trip myself with my youngest son, Micah. Uh, This is with my oldest son. We did this a couple years ago up near Lake Superior. Uh, This time with my other son, Micah, we're going to go to an island in in Lake Superior. It's about a three-hour ferry ride. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's uh, the least visited national park uh, in the States here. So I'm getting pretty excited. Uh, Micah was home last weekend, and I was telling him all about what we we're going to do and how we we're going to do it, and we're both getting excited. And it's like, you know, we're going to see uh, the, mo- the island is full of moose, and so we're hoping we get to see some moose. Uh, it also has these little camp foxes, they call them, that you have to tie your shoes down because they'll steal them. And they steal your uh, backpacking gear and stuff like that. And so we're all excited about that. And it's like, that would be really cool to see that. And then I said, oh, and I just read, they're reintroducing wolves to the island. He's like, stop being excited for a second. Like, 
wolves, Dad? Did, did you say wolves? I said, yeah, they're, they're wolves. And so we're, we're both, we're kind of navigating through that right now. Like what, you know, what does that look like? We kind of know what to do if you meet a bear, but if you meet a pack of wolves, they're just, they're just big dogs, right? <laughs> uh, apparently I need to do some more reading. But I've been, I've been just having so much fun just studying the map and looking at the distances and how far can we make it in this day and can we go to this campsite and elevation changes and all these different things. I'm excited. But sometimes when I, when I talk to people and I tell them what we're going to do, they're like, why would you do that? Why would you go to a place that's so hard to get to, takes a long time to get there, and then... You know, you're on this island of wolves with maybe other, a handful of other people. You're sleeping on the ground. You're carrying your food with you. You're carrying this heavy pack miles and miles. And the time of year you're going is going to be like in the mid-30s. Why would you do that? <laughs> and when they say it that way, it kind of is like, yeah, it is kind of crazy, but we love adventure. We, we, uh, when I think about it, I get excited because it's time to be disconnected for a few days. You know, there's no cell service. We get to be first-hand witnesses of God's creation, the, the, the quiet of, of his creation, and a sky filled with stars at night. Plus, uh, the time I get to spend with my, my son, just, just the two of us. That's why I'm excited about that. But I, but I know not everyone would agree. Not everyone thinks, wow, that sounds great for you. <laughs> because some of us hate to travel. It's a, it's a hassle. It, it takes too much work. There's, there's no place like home. <laughs> some of us uh, have never been out of Ohio, and it, if we were, it was probably by accident. Some of us like to go to the same familiar place. We, we enjoy that place, and we know where to stay, and we know where the good restaurants are, and so we just say, we, we go to the same place every year. And there's some of us who, you know, we love the adventure, the excitement of the planning and the, and the not knowing and, and that kind of thing. You know, some of us approach the Bible in the same way. Because some of us love the adventure of, of jumping into the story of the Bible. Some of us visit the same spots. We have our favorite verses, we have our go-to stories, and that's what we do. Some of us have a Bible, but no idea how to jump into God's story. It seems difficult, it, it seems paralyzing. We're, we're not even sure where to start. But some of us aren't yet convinced that it's even worth the time and the energy. Uh, and I get it, because some of us are brand new to the Bible. Some of you are, are skeptics, and, and we're glad you're here. Others have been hurt by well-meaning Bible thumpers who've hit you over the head with a, a two-by-four of grace and of truth and very little grace. And you're just like, man, if that's what it's all about, no thank you. Some of you are veterans and have read it for years and you've devoted your lives to, to studying and understand it as best as you can. You see, all these, we have all these different experiences as we approach God's word. 
all these different thoughts toward, toward the Bible are the reasons why we're having this conversation. Now, over the next two weeks, we want to tackle the question, why, why read it? Why read it? And if I read it then, the second week, we're going to talk about, well, how, how do I do it? How do I get started? How do I make sense of it? And then we're going to enter into a series called Long Story Short, in which we are going to navigate through God's story from a 30,000-foot view. And we want, you to, we want to invite you to journey with us. Find a traveling companion you can read the Bible with and, and talk about it as we go. But why, <clears throat> but why all this emphasis on the Bible? The reality is we live in a day and age in which <clears throat> we as Americans have more Bibles than ever. Almost nine out of ten households own a Bible. And the average household has three. And then you go to a bookstore or, or, or <clears throat> a book section, and you see we've got men's Bibles and women's Bibles and student Bibles and, and children's Bibles. We've got study Bibles, archaeological Bibles, chronological Bibles. We've got parallel Bibles. We've got all these Bibles. <laughs> you can buy a Bible in paperback, or you can buy it in leather, or you can buy it two-tone. You can buy it in large print or wide margins. You can download 20 different versions of the Bible on your phone, the KJV, the NIV, the NLT, the NASB, the ESV, the ESPN. We, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking brackets. <laughs> but the point is, we have this incredible access to the Bible. And yet, we're a culture that's more biblically illiterate than we've ever been. Why is that? Because we don't read it. And often when we do, we, we're not reading it correctly. A recent survey reveals that 48% of Americans are Bible users. They define a Bible user meaning they engage with the Bible on their own outside of church at least three or four times a year. And I read that and I thought, man, that's, that's interesting. A Bible user is defined as someone who interacts with the Bible on their own at least three times a year. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but it seems like we're setting the bar pretty low. <laughs> the adults who use the Bible daily account for about 14%, followed by 13% who use it several times a week. It was interesting in our recent uh, reveal survey, that revealed that 40% of those surveyed said they study the Bible to know God, the truth, and to find direction for their life. 28% said they read it daily. And so we have all these low, low numbers, and yet two-thirds, over 66% of Americans express some level of curiosity about wanting to know more about the Bible. More than half of Bible users say that when they use the Bible, they have a greater awareness of how much they need God all the time. Six out of ten believe that the message of the Bible has radically transformed their lives. Now, I realize that's, uh, that's a lot of stats, a lot of numbers and things, but one of the surveys boiled it down to one sentence. This is what they said. Overall, Americans seem to like the Bible, but don't have much urgency about reading it. 
So all this leads to the question, why? why? Why would we want to read the Bible and engage with it frequently? What's the benefit? Why, why read the Bible? There's got to be more than because pastor said so, or, you know, grandma said I should, or it's good for you, like eating Brussels sprouts are good for you. The Bible's described in all these different ways, but in, in the time we have left this morning, I want us to just quickly look at six pictures that help us to grasp why, why should I read the Bible? I want to go back to what Pastor Adam said last week when he said the Bible is a story of wonder and beauty worth exploring. I believe that's true. It's a story of beauty and wonder worth exploring. So what are the pictures that support that? We're going to start in the Psalms this morning because the Psalms have a lot to say about God's word, especially Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, there's 176 verses, statements about God's word, describing God's word, and and all of these things about God's word. Don't worry, we're we're just going to look at one. (laughs) Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word, God's word, is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. You ever been in the dark? Ever been left in the dark? Maybe your, your power went out a couple weeks ago during the windstorm. Maybe you live in, a, in an older house that, that the light switch for the room is on the other side. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to pastor a, a church and we had an old building and, and none of the light switches were where they should be. <laughs> you know, you would, you would turn off this one and it'd end up turning one on over there. And it was just the craziest, weirdest thing. And there were some nights that <clears throat> I would be the last one there, and so I'm shutting off lights, and, and so I would shut the light off here, pitch black, walk down a hallway, across the auditorium, and downstairs to the outside door, because that's where the light switch was. And so it was always a little bit creepy, and, and, and also just a little bit like, man, I hope nobody moved anything, <laughs> Right? Because that's what happens when we're, when we're walking in the dark, we're, we're stumbling around, we run into things, we get lost, we, we fail to find what we're looking for. Without light, we walk in the dark. And so light is something provided outside of ourselves to help us, to, to reveal what we might otherwise not have seen on our own. So in that sense, the Bible is God's light which reveals who he really is. It reveals God. Because remember, the Bible is a story of God written by God. If we want to know God as he really is, we've got to read about what he says about himself personally. It's not just knowing facts and figures about God, it's about knowing him personally. It's about getting to know his character and getting to know his heart and his will and his plan and his purpose. And yet I, I think, you know, we, we get stuck trying to make decisions, trying to figure out the will of God for our lives. Like, you know, should I take this job? Should I stay where I am? Should I marry Festus or, or Cletus? You know, and, and we become paralyzed trying to figure out the answer, and, and we weigh our options, the pros and the cons, we pray, we get advice, and then we still feel in the dark. 
but have we used the light that God's given us? I mean, there's not, not, there's not a verse in the Bible that says literally, blessed are those who cleave from Cletus. I'm like, oh, okay, I should marry Festus then. But God's light, God does shed light on our relationships by revealing to us what's important to him. And so if we're wondering if we should marry Festus, the Bible sheds light on the question by pointing us to the kind of person God wants us to be. And not only that, it sheds light on the, the kind of person that we should marry. Is he or she following Jesus? Are they, are they growing in their faith? Are they pursuing God? Is he or she someone who exhibits joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Do they love me, and have I seen them love others in a way that doesn't keep record of wrong? Do I see them loving others and and myself that they they love in a way that isn't rude or easily angered or selfish but is protective and, and trustworthy and full of hope? 1 Corinthians 13. All these things shine light on our decisions and the path that we're on. You know, we're always trying to look way ahead and, and, and it doesn't always tell us what tomorrow will bring. However, it does say it's a lamp unto my feet. In other words, it helps me to know the next step to take. It guides me in my pursuit of God. If we're not reading the Bible, how will we navigate life in a way that keeps us from stumbling in the dark? If I'm not looking at God's word to know God as he really is, how am I going to know who he is? How am I going to know the, the truth about him? You see, all of a sudden, when, when we're not following God's light, we're kind of following our own experiences and our own thoughts and our own imagine, imaginations. And, and pretty soon, we start following a God who's, who's always disappointed with me. He's always angry with me. He's always upset with me. And if, if it's not on that end of the spectrum, then it's the other where he's some kind of rainbow unicorn sprinkling me with happy dust. And we get all these distorted, made-up versions of, of God that, that aren't right. And then we start stumbling down some sketchy paths that, that not only hurt us, but hurt the people around us. See, what we believe about God, the way we think about him, matters. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and theologian, writes, God and his ways are not what most of us think. Most of what we are told about God and his ways by our friends on the street or read about him in the paper or view on TV or think up on our own is simply wrong. Maybe not dead wrong, but wrong enough to mess up the way we live. And this book, the Bible, is precisely a revelation, a revealing of what we would never find out on our own. See, on our own, we can come up with some pretty messed up, inaccurate images of God that affects the way we live, affects our decision making. You see, the Bible is God's light that reveals who he is. It's that revealed light that keeps us from bumping into things and losing direction. When we, when we seek to know God as he really is, as he's revealed himself in the Bible, then all of a sudden, wow, he's bigger than I thought. 
He's closer than, than I imagined. He's, he's more holy, more powerful, more kind, more generous, more, more gracious, more loving than, than I could ever have imagined. The Bible is God's light which reveals who he really is. The Bible isn't just a light that reveals God's character and God's heart, his, his will, his plan, his purpose. The Bible is also God's mirror that reflects who I really am. We read this in the book of James chapter 1. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I often like to say it this way, when I know whose I am, I know better who I am. When I know whose I am, I know better who I am. In other words, the more I know God, the more I know about what it means to be in Christ, the more I begin to understand how I I was made to be. The only way we can get to know these things is by being in God's word. Apart from being in God's word, we don't know the truth of who we really are. Without the reflection of God's word, we have no idea what's going on in our hearts and our minds. So because of the Bible, one of the things that I begin to realize is I I am created in the image of God. I'm created in the image of God. There's Because there's a lot of places we look for our identity, especially early on in life. We find our identity in, in what people call us or how people treat us. We find our identity by by what other people tell us when they talk about us. Sometimes life beats us up and we feel like failures or, man, I was a real goofball. And we find our identity. That's how we begin to think about ourselves. But when I start to look into the mirror of God's word, it reminds me who I really am. Who I was made to be. I see that I've been made in the image of God. I have purpose, I'm valued, I'm loved. I have worth and significance. I'm deeply and dearly loved by God. All these things, despite what I've learned from from others and other things, I'm created in the image of God. But seeing myself in the reflection of the Bible also reveals something else. It reveals there's something wrong. Because when I go to the Bible, I'm not only reading it, it's reading me and it's reflecting back to me the, the, the things that are, that are inaccurate, the things that are wrong. The image has been marred or distorted by sin. The Bible reflects what's wrong with me. It exposes and reveals. And James' point is that when we look into the mirror of God's word and see something that shouldn't be there, take care of it. You ever been out to eat and, and you've been eating dinner and, and with friends and, and that kind of thing and then you go to use the restroom and then you look at yourself in the mirror and you have a big piece of spinach caught between your teeth and you're like, oh man, how long has that been there? Uh, oh well. And you walk away, right? No. You don't walk away. Before you go back out there, you get it, you get it out. Because something's wrong, it's not right, we fix it. That's James's point here. 
Let's get, get rid of it. I, I do something about the reflection that I've seen. This then leads, to, leads me to Jesus in whom I find freedom. If I keep staring at this mirror, eventually I see the fix, the one who can bring freedom, the one who can give me forgiveness, the one who can restore our relationship. I see who I can be in Christ. If, if I keep staring at the mirror long enough, I see Jesus. This is why James said earlier, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we may, might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. This actually leads to our third picture, which is the Bible is God's seed that contains the life-giving message of Jesus. You see, when we look at a seed, it's just, it seems like just a dead thing, but it has the potential for life, and not only life, but abundant life, because what happens when you plant that seed? It germinates, and it grows into a plant, and it produces more fruit, and it becomes abundant. We read something similar in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are, are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So let's break this down so we understand it a little better. It says, for, for you have been born again. In other words, we were dead in our, in our trespasses and sin. We were dead in sin that separated us from God. But now you've been given new life spiritually. You've been born again. You now have the freedom and the life that comes from being in Christ Jesus. And this comes not of perishable seed. Again, Peter talks about this in verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. No. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, the price was paid for our sin, not by perishable things, perishable seed. No, we've been given new life in Jesus, born again of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. God uses the word of God to bring about the miracle of new birth. But we have to understand it's not saying that the Bible saves you. The Bible doesn't save you. However, the Bible contains the seed of the good news of Jesus which germinates in the heart of the person who says yes to Jesus and gives them new life. The Bible contains the message of new spiritual life. And so the Bible is a light, it's a mirror, it's a seed. And then Peter goes on and he, he kind of starts to to mix the metaphors a little bit. But he goes on in the next section of his letter and he says, therefore, get rid of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
What Peter's saying is that once I've tasted the goodness of God found in the gospel, keep coming back, keep eating, keep coming back to Jesus' table. Keep drinking and eating of his goodness and his love that leads to spiritual maturity. Because we know that we only grow if we eat. We need that nourishment. Now, my doctor um, has told me several times now, you need to eat to live, not live to eat. That's, that's hard for me because I enjoy food. I enjoy living. I, I live to eat in a, in a sense. And so he's telling me, no, don't do that. Just eat to live. Eat good things. Well, I think as we look at this passage here in Peter, he's really saying both. You need to eat to live. You need the nourishment. You need God, God's words in your life and, and put into practice. You need to eat to live, but Also, live to eat, crave it. Be passionate about it. Be passionate about pursuing Jesus. You see, the Bible is God's food that helps me grow up to become like Jesus. I eat to live like Jesus. I want to grow in a way that reflects Jesus in and through my life. If I'm, if I'm in the Bible reading and, and listening to God and looking for Jesus and putting these truths into practice, that's where the, the real growth begins in my life. In other words, I keep coming back to the table. As I think about this, I think back on all the, the meals that I've eaten in my 51 years. <laughs> and there's a lot of meals I don't remember but there are some that I do. I mean, I, I think of all the birthdays with the, with the sweet and sour chicken and fried rice and apple dumplings. I know it's almost lunchtime. It's, it's cruel. <laughs> but I also think uh, most of them I don't remember. But regardless, I am a product of eating these meals for the last half century. In the same way, I'm a product of how much I've craved and I've eaten of God's word. There's a lot of things I don't remember, a lot of things I do as I've read and studied over the years. Nonetheless, my maturity, my understanding of God is the sum product of the time that I've taken to fill myself with his truth. This past week, I did a a funeral for a gentleman I've known for a number of years. Uh, He was 95. Uh, I hadn't seen him for a while, and so I was talking to the, I was talking to his son. I was like, "Man, the last time I talked to Russ, he was he was doing well. What happened?" And he said, "Well, at Thanksgiving, he realized he just didn't enjoy eating anymore. Couldn't taste, couldn't, just didn't do anything for him. So he's like, I'm just gonna stop eating. And so they tried different things, and he's just he wouldn't eat. It got to the point where." got to the point where he fell, and so they needed to take him into the hospital, and, and uh, they did, and his, his systems were shutting down. He had pneumonia. He had infections all throughout his body. He was dehydrated. I mean, the point is, when we don't eat, we die. <laughs> we don't eat, we, we grow weak. We're not able to do the things that, that we were able to do before. Jesus says in Matthew 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every bread that, every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need God's word. We need that nourishment in our lives. 
You see, when church-attending followers of Jesus don't, don't go to Jesus' table often, when we're not reading on our own, when we're not diving into God's word and eating, we begin to grow weak. And we become malnourished. And when we don't eat enough, we get hangry, we get irritated, we, we get angry, we start living off the scraps of the past, or we start to fill up on junk food. It's that junk food that, that, that we really start to get opinionated about perishable things, things that, that don't really matter. And so the point is, we've got to watch what we eat. What are you putting into your mind these days? I mean, I remember when I painted houses, it was just me and the radio. <laughs> I would I'd paint the house and listen to the radio all day. And, and the thing at the time was uh, talk radio. And so I had this talk radio on all day. And so my soul was being filled, was being fed by all this negativity and fear that I was hearing on, on the talk radio, and it, it started to affect my thinking. Until one day I was like, man, I, this is really starting to affect my thinking, and, and I changed the station. Because my attitude was becoming less and less and less and less like Jesus. I wasn't feeding on him, I was feeding on all this other stuff. And so why do we need to be in the Bible? The Bible is light that reveals truth about God. It reveals, uh, it's a mirror that reflects the truth about me. It's a seed that contains the life-giving message of Jesus. It's food that grows me up to become more like Jesus. But here's the issue. If I'm going to become more and more like Jesus, I can probably count on encountering some of the same challenges that Jesus faced. Life is challenging even for followers of Jesus. Jesus faced challenges and we will face challenges. For the follower of Christ, the followers of Jesus, these challenges come in two ways. The first is I can count on being challenged by the enemy, by Satan. Jesus himself was challenged by Satan, and we don't have time to look at it this morning, but in Matthew chapter 4, three times Satan comes to Jesus and, and tries to tempt him in different ways, and three times Jesus responds, it is written. It is written, and then he quotes, he quotes scripture, he quotes God's word back to him. In other words, he's responded with the truth of God's word, and he defeated that temptation. And so the Bible is God's weapon to fight Satan just like Jesus did. That's why we need in Paul's description of the armor of God that we're to take up the sword of the Spirit, the sword of God's word. We read in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And he goes on in that passage to list these different items where the put into our lives, and he concludes, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
You see, Satan's tactic has always been and always will be to distort the truth and create doubt about who God really is. Jesus calls him the father of lies in in John 8. His greatest weapon is deception. It started from the very beginning. Eugene Peterson again says, telling a person a lie about God distorts reality, perverts life, and damages all the processes of living. It's an effective tactic. Sin is almost always rooted in doubt or distortion of God. In this way, Satan confuses us by by shading the light, by covering the mirror, by hiding the seed, by providing us with plenty of junk food. And so like Jesus, we need to defend against these deceptions with his truth. We need to be in the Bible to remind it of what's true and to live for what's true, understanding who God is, understanding who I am in light of that and rooted in Christ Jesus. You see, without God's word, I'll never expose the lies of Satan and and tear down the strongholds of Satan in my life. The Bible says it this way, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I I love this passage. You, You almost feel like running through a wall. I mean, because that you, that you could do that because the weapon of God's word demolishes strongholds. Well, what's a stronghold? <laughs> a stronghold is a place in your life that Satan controls. A piece of territory, a, a plot of land, a patch of ground in your life in which he's gained access to your life. And these are, these are the addictions and the beliefs and the attitudes that control us. He's in charge. He's calling the shots. He's, he's playing with the strings. Because none of us set, on, none of us set out in life to, to become a gambler or an addict, a liar, a cheat, a, an abuser, a gossip. It starts subtly. It starts small. We're not not in God's word. We're not being led by the light of God's truth. When we see our reflection in the mirror of God's truth, we're walking away and not doing anything of it, and it opens a door, and Satan puts his foot in that door. And he stakes a claim and gains more and more control, and the next thing we know is that a good goal becomes a bad God. We can't afford to let him take the high ground. But we also can't do it on our own. As Paul's saying, as Paul said earlier in Ephesians 6, the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's, it's, a, it's the, against the forces of evil that, that try to have their way with us. We need spiritual weapons for a spiritual fight. I'm not going to take a water blaster to a gunfight. The Bible is God's weapon to fight Satan. I need his word in my life. These strongholds in my life can be torn down. I need God's power to demolish these strongholds. You see, the gospel, the message of the good news of Jesus that's found in the word of God gives us victory over this first challenge. 
And so as followers of Jesus, the first challenge we overcome with God's word are the lies and deceptions of the enemy. The second challenge comes from the storms we face in life. Jesus gives us a picture of this in in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Notice that the wise man and the foolish man both get hit with a storm. (laughs) They both do. In other words, if it hasn't rained in your life yet, (laughs) it will. (laughs) It's going to happen. And the difference will be, what are you building your life upon? We will go through tough times. It matters what we build our lives on. And so the last picture is the Bible is God's foundation that stabilizes my life in the storms. Why did the foolish man build his house on sand? It's because he miscalculated the weather. He's like, everything's fine. You know, he thought every day was a, a good hair day, so he built his house on a, on a sand dune. On the other hand, the wise wise man, he didn't trust the weather. He knew the storms would come, and so he built his house on the foundation of the rock, something he knew could withstand the storms. Notice the key here is to start with a strong foundation. If you start with a strong foundation, you'll have something to lean on when life gets tough. You'll have something to, to build on that's stable. Notice the foundation isn't hearing Jesus' words, but but hearing and putting them into practice. You're living your life according to God's will, according to what God says as he reveals it to us in his word. You see, God's word has implication for our lives that make all the difference when we put it into practice. We read it, we hear it, we apply it. When we do that, we build a strong foundation. But you know what a lot of people do? (laughs) A lot of people, when it starts to rain in their life, they try to change the foundation during the storm. The rains and the winds come, the house shakes and starts to sink, and they contact the most spiritual people they know, and they say, help me build a new foundation. Everything's falling apart. Ever tried to change a foundation in the middle of a storm? (laughs) To change anything in the middle of a storm? Make sure you build on the strong foundation of God's word, putting it into practice today before the storms hit, before that marriage issue, before that, that illness, before that bad news, before that difficult circumstance. You see, being a follower of Jesus doesn't stop the rain, but it does bring you through it. 
The word of God, when put into practice, provides a foundation, and that foundation is Jesus, and that's where I want to place my life. I want to place my life upon him. And so why do I need to read this book and put it into practice? One, it's a light that reveals truth about God. It's a mirror that reflects the truth about me and what's going on inside. It's seed that gives the, <clears throat> contains the life-giving message of Jesus, an imperishable life. It's food that grows me up to become like Jesus. It's God's weapon to fight spiritual battles just like Jesus. It's a foundation that gives my life stability in the storms. You see, this book is God's story that points me to the author of life, who is Jesus. It provides what I need most to navigate through life in a way that continually points me to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're skeptical. How can a book be all these things? I, I just encourage you, stick with us. Maybe start reading in the Bible. Start reading in, in Matthew or John and ask questions. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but... You haven't been reading the Bible. Maybe then your foundation is being built on something else. And when the storms come, it's not going to be able to withstand. Maybe you read the Bible, but you go to the same place all the time. Your favorite verses, your go-to stories, you're only getting part of the story. You're getting an incomplete picture. Maybe you're reading it in the wrong way. Next week, I encourage you to come as we talk about how to read God's word. But maybe you're already reading it in the way it was intended. Listening for God and looking for Jesus. If you're reading it that way, take somebody with you. Travel with someone as, as we read together. Grab a study guide and, and another person and say, hey, well, will you do this with me just an hour a week? Let's go get coffee or a Coke or something and let's talk about this for an hour. Let's talk about who God is. Let's look at his character. Let's look at his heart, his, <clears throat> excuse me, his will, his purpose, his plan. He said, whether you're just investigating or you realize you need to, to rebuild on a stronger foundation, get to know God's story by spending some time reading his word. Let's pray today. Father, thank you. I thank you for creation. Or I thank you for how we see just your incredible, marvelous handiwork. Lord, we see your fingerprints all through creation of a God who is creative, a God who cares, a God who is powerful. But Father, I thank you that you took it a step further and you gave us your words that reveal who you are so that we might know you as you really are. Lord, that we might, by knowing whose we are, we know who we are who we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for the reflection of your word that points those things out in my life, in our lives. Help us to, to be people as we reflect in your word to, to not just walk away from it, but then to look for Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
Lord, help us to, to stand against the difficulties of this life, whether it's the storms or the spiritual battles that we're facing and strongholds in our life. Father, help us to go to your word. May your light guide us and lead us in the way that you've created us. In your image, as loved by you. Father, I thank you for that. I'm humbled by that. Lord, we love you too. We thank you for your word that you've given us. Help us to be hearers and readers of your word as well as doers, putting it into practice, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.